Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Doing well. It's, uh, you know, another week here another in, week. in the Midwest yeah. in lab land. <laughs> I like it. Lab land. Well, in lab land and in the world of uh, outbreaks and infectious disease, it's been kind of interesting following monkeypox and COVID. Um, Good news for now, I guess, with the monkeypox front, it looks like cases are going down, maybe will plateau. The CDC just released on September 29th a technical report on uh, the an update on the CDC's response. And it looks like it probably, monkeypox probably won't go away, but it'll probably plateau and will be continued to be a risk, uh, probably at a low level throughout the US and also probably the world. Yes, they're saying that it appears that it has a foothold now in this part of the world, it will no longer be we're limited to just Central Africa in terms of where it can identify, you can encounter cases not related to travel, correct? Yes, their specific words are domestic transmission in the U.S. is unlikely to be eliminated in the near future. Uh, probably will remain at a low level at certain populations of risk, primarily in men that have sex with men, but obviously it can affect anyone. There's only been one death still. Um, there's been a number of children that have been affected. So everyone should still consider it a potential, although low-lying risk. Yep. I'm glad you brought up the, the children because I think mm -hmm. that's that's the thing now that the disease is here is that anyone can catch it, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's an infectious disease. And so we know there's, I mean, this mode of transmission is contact, so it can be, it can be spread. So I guess it's just one more thing we're going to have to keep in mind. And it's going to be mean that now for health professionals that are seeing patients and for patients that get unexplained rashes is going to have to be one of the things that's in our minds now to think yeah. about. So in the cool. U.S., there's been uh, four pregnant people and one breastfeeding uh, person who've also been infected. Wow. So like you said, no one's really immune, definitely transmitted by that close personal contact, although we are still seeing it really in certain risk groups, uh, primarily the gay and bisexual men. But I think, you know, everyone needs to be aware of the associated risk factors and just take precautions. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that was one thing it brings to mind for me is the question is now, do we consider monkeypox endemic yeah. in this part of the world? What do you think? No one's calling it endemic yet, but it is kind of a, a good question that we're all wondering because no one thinks it's going to go away anytime soon. So yeah, endemic, I mean, the actual definition is it's, regularly found amongst a certain people in a certain area. So we think of certain things like influenza as being endemic. No one's calling it that yet, but I think that that's a potential. And that kind of brings us to COVID too. I think COVID has now transitioned or is transitioning into an endemic status. Yeah. So what's the difference again for us between the pandemic and so endemic, you nicely described pandemic on, uh, on, in contrast is 
Well, a pandemic is really um, something that is above an expectation, a, a global epidemic. It spreads to more than one continent, is essentially at a certain point out of control. And I don't mean to make that sound alarmist, but just that it's spread um, beyond uh, what could actually be controlled and, and squa uh, squashed and, and actually stopped. Now, that's when something new happens, um, but eventually it just becomes essentially endemic and then we stop using the word pandemic. I think that's important here because like you mentioned with COVID, I think we talked last time about the comments of President Biden. And the reality is that there's not going to be a clean one day you're going to wake up and it's going to be, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's over. It, 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 the pandemic's over and we're now in an endemic. It's sort of a gradual transition with this respiratory illness. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of been the opposite with, you know, monkeypox, thankfully, didn't have nearly the number of people infected. But it's just kind of risen to a level where it appears it's going to continue to spread in this part of the world for some time. Mm -hmm. um, whereas COVID, of course, been the opposite where it was a major pandemic, a life changing pandemic. Mm -hmm. But now that tidal wave kind of slowly receding down to the to the endemic level. Yeah, and I think one of the important things that happens with the change from pandemic to endemic is really pandemic is associated with a certain amount of disruption, illness, hardship, loss of life, unexpected, usually when something new arises. But then the pandemic shifts to endemic once the disease becomes more stable and more manageable. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's going to be challenging for us in in the healthcare community and the labs is that although it'll, this transition with COVID will be gradual, the policy changes now will start to, you know, many of the measures that were put in place for COVID um, to give the flexibility to provide the resources and the healthcare resources needed. We're now seeing some of that kind of being kind of going back. And so I, I think it was a week or so ago, for instance, FDA and CMS said that if you're using a COVID test for asymptomatic screening, that it has to actually have been, uh, you know, it's authorized for that. When you submit it for EUA, you actually had to have that in the submission. And if you don't, and you're knowingly using a test that wasn't approved for that or authorized for that, there's a major penalty, like $10,000 per mm -hmm. patient. So this is, a, I think, an example of we're going to have to really keep our ear to the ground in the labs and in healthcare about kind of the changing regulatory landscape. Absolutely. And it's probably important to remind everyone, too, that a public health emergency isn't necessarily the same as emergency use authorization. They're separate. They're not necessarily linked, although they often happen together. So we still have certain tests that have the emergency use status for things like Zika virus. And that can continue even once the public health emergency has been scaled back and, and something's no longer considered an emergency. But at some point, you would anticipate that tests actually go through the full regulatory process, and instead of having an emergency use authorization, they become cleared or approved through the regulatory pathways. Certainly, with all this, we've talked about another podcast with the interest of FDA and really being more active in the world of laboratory-developed tests and lab testing. It's almost a certainty that they will require tests at some point to get fully cleared for COVID. But the flip side is, uh, for all of us, we, you know, you think of the FDA as sort of this monolithic entity, but the reality is there's a lot of people there that are Dr. Stenzel and others that are really good, you mm -hmm. know, resources. And so uh, it'll be, as we start to think about this, if you have questions in your mind about your testing, I mean, to really get to reach out to the FDA and they often will provide clarification 
So not early now, but I think as we start to move through the health emergency, because I, I imagine at the end of the year, it's going to be a hot topic as we get to the end of 2022, that they'll always, we'll probably see the public health emergency be rescinded at some point. Yeah. And I think that we continue to learn, like you said, Dr. Stenzel, others at the FDA have really, I think, been doing their best to try to provide guidance. The response to monkeypox was more, uh, I guess, just a little easier because we've been through it so recently with SARS-CoV-2 and hopefully future epidemics, outbreaks, maybe pandemics will go even smoother. I don't want to scare anyone, but we have seen a lot of outbreaks, mostly viruses. Since just the 2000s, we've had outbreaks of known things like dengue. We're seeing that again in the southern parts of some of the United States. And then, of course, MERS and the first SARS of Ebola and Zika. And the predictions that that will continue because of globalization and just easy um, commuting across the globe and also just encroachment into areas where there's animals and other viruses, there'll be more of that animal to people spread. This is certainly not my area of expertise, but I've heard something along the lines of, of there's, you know, literally tens of thousands, if not millions of microorganisms that we have not even characterized or encountered out there. And, oh, yeah. that, is, and that is one of the concerns with, with, with increased population of people going into areas where they have not been and, and also increased travel where people that this is something that we're going to have to be dealing with. So, and I think it is, and hopefully we can take the lessons learned uh, as we've talked about before and, and kind of create the right safety net for our country and really for the globe. It's a global issue that we can really have a system that can recognize and respond to these things without the level of disruption that we saw with COVID because God knows we don't want to go through that again. Absolutely. Well, maybe I'll use this to put in a shameless plug for those of our listeners who are interested in laboratory medicine or virology, because that's a hot area. This is a great time to become a medical laboratory scientist, to work in the laboratory, to be a laboratory director. If you're a medical student, go into pathology. It's an exciting career. Couldn't help it, Bill. I had, a, yeah, I had yeah, to say that's it. Great. That's great. <laughs> so, and then I guess to close with, too, I know it's been on your mind and my mind, but just thinking about the people that have suffered with Hurricane Ian and all the destruction that's been a lot. I know there's a lot of stories about healthcare organizations. We, of course, we have Mayo Clinic in Florida that really did heroic things again on top of everything else in the face of that. So, and, and the destruction that that wrought. So there's still lots of challenges that we're going to have to come together. The most important thing is that we stick together as laboratorians, as a healthcare community and, and step up when needed, like we have been doing all along. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope everyone's staying safe and uh, recovering and protecting themselves and their families. Yep, indeed. Well, I guess uh, until pretty soon, we're going to have to talk about Halloween again. So oh, that'll be exciting. One of my yeah. favorite holidays. Yeah, yeah it's, right up, it's right up your alley. So. <laughs> well, that'll be a great future topic. Halloween and holidays and people coming together and all sorts of things. Indeed. All right. We'll talk to you next time then. Sounds good. See you, Bobby. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.